So, Jim, you know we end making chips with our mantra, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Yes, we do. And you know what? If you take too long to be making those chips, you know what happens? You lose money. You lose money. There's no accountability and there's no data. So how do we solve that? Well, I'll tell you what we're doing now that we've converted and we're using ProShop ERP. It's a cloud-based ERP system. So all of our employees, you know, there's kiosks throughout my shop. Everyone has access to the database of the flow of work through our shop. And everyone time tracks against work orders that they're on. Every week, Ryan and I, our operations manager, get together. We look. We say, ah. Jason, he he's not at eighty five percent. He's not at eighty five percent efficiency. He's taking too many smoke he, breaks. He's must he's, be another Jason because I know that's not me. Well, no, I had to use you. I didn't want to throw anybody else under the bus. But at the end of the day, Pro Shop is great because it's hard data and numbers and information that we can look at every week and try and get that efficiency to about 85%, meaning everybody that's clocked into a work order or clocked in has to have 85% of time tracking against a work order. So go to ProShop ERP, set up a demo, and Paul will be happy to talk to you. Welcome to Making Chips. We believe that manufacturing is challenging. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you can elevate your skills, solve your problems, and grow your business. I'm your host, Nick Golner, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Jim, the luxury car, and Jason, I sell PPE, Zenger. Hey, guys. I sell PPE, Nick. <laughs> I know, we know. I'm glad I'm the luxury car because that's what I'm all about, right, guys? You, you drive first class. That's right. <laughs> And Nick, to you and to the rest of the Making Chips audience for just talking about PPE all the time, you just it's just been my world from 6 a.m. until 10 p.m. at night every day, Saturdays and Sundays for my wife and I, and it's been exhausting. So my apologies to no, the world. No problem. Okay. We'll send that invoice for sponsorship. Uh, Jim's preparing that invoice. <laughs> yes, I so. was. <laughs> What's the email address? I should send it to Jason. But yeah, it's good. You know, I got to tell you, I'm still not I still don't like this remote recording. It does a disservice to the metalworking nation because, you know, when we started out on this mission, we said no remote recordings. We're doing everything in person. We want to look at each other and our guests in their eyes and feel that emotional connection and really put a profound show out there for everybody to hear. And I don't know, it's growing on me and I do like the convenience of it, but yet we will get back to that soon as soon as this pandemic has moved away and gone away. So our apologies for that. Yeah, I mean, I think I agree. I think that that in-person experience is definitely one of the pillars of making chips, that personal connection. And we're at a loss right now. But you know what? Just like every other business out there, we're kind of pivoting with the times. And whether we agree or not with what is going on, we have to abide by what we're being told in this situation. I personally am happy that we're getting, like many businesses are getting back to work at this point though too. So I'm very happy about that because if the coronavirus isn't going to kill people, it's like the crashing economy might. There you go. You're kind of tipping off the manufacturing news, but we'll wait till that point. That's actually the, the manufacturing news article is how we're going to reopen. We'll get there in a sec. Before we get there, can... Can I talk to you guys about the digital transformation at your business? I've, I've seen a dramatic change in, in how my sales guys approach their day-to-day. -day. They're forced to 
to evolve and to embrace some of the digital technologies. But how's it going at Car and Zingers? Well, I will tell you, Nick, that, you know, of course, my sales manager, John, when he started working for me, he wasn't the type of salesman that would go out and cold call on our customers or our prospects. So we embraced the digital transformation before we were forced to embrace the digital Mm. transformation. So we're using all the different touch points that are available to us. I believe that in a sales class, you say that there's seven ways to touch a prospect or a client. It used to be fax years ago. It used to be a phone call. It used to be an email. It used to be a letter. And what we've added to that now is we've been using video emails, which have been very successful as a, as a differentiator to get into a company. Because if you get one of those digital video emails, the, op- the opportunity for them or that prospect or customer to click through is pretty good. Plus, it adds all the analytics of who clicked through. Um, like if they watch it, really? Yeah, okay. and how yeah. many times they've shared it. So let's say somebody gets a video email from John, and that person says, hey, this, this company looks like they've got something going on, and they forward that to 10 of their subordinates in their company. You can see where all of the emails have been forwarded to. So we've been embracing that for quite a while now as a, and we, it's really, it's part of your whole sales process. I'm not saying that it's the end all. We're still writing letters, handwritten letters that are, they're very impactful, but you have to have all of those to, to make an impact. What I'm getting out of that is you're, you're being different. You're, you're a different message in their inbox. I've never actually been the recipient of one of those video emails, but I, kind of heard about the technology and I really want to explore that. Cause I imagine if I, if I got a video from a salesperson in an email and I clicked it and I can just sit there and watch like what they would have written and, and it's from them, I imagine it would feel a lot more personalized. And it's per it's personal. It is personalized. You're calling out their name. So it's, yeah. it's really good. It's That's nice. Cool. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Jim can do a whole episode about that in the future for us and explain, yeah. explain. Yeah. It all. I, I guess for us, you know, we are doing things a little bit differently. Our, application salespeople that are out in the street have been constrained to a degree, not completely, but to a degree. So, and we've just been changing with the time. So for example, Jim just bought his first lathe and he also just bought his first five axis machine. We tooled that up and we, instead of doing everything in person in order to put his tooling package together, we, we did it via webinar and we just did everything remotely. So, you know, you just, you pivot with the times. And I think that that's the sign of a great team, great leaders, all of the above is that you have to pivot with the situation that's presented to you. And that's what we're seeing for the most successful companies out there, whether it's changing their sales processes, getting into LinkedIn, like you're doing, Nick, doing more video stuff. That's just a good sign of, of how to be a good leader. So what about like the vending? I mean, are your, are your guys able to go in with gloves on and like reload vending machines for all your VMI oh, customers? Our, that's very operational. And so, yeah, oh, our VMI team is absolutely, they have not stopped because, I mean, we have critical customers that we have to keep continue replenishing their operations. And so from a sales perspective, we're limiting the number of people, but our VMI team does have to continue operating. Some of our customers have decided to put the merchandise away themselves, but a lot of our customers were still doing the same thing we were before. Well, on our end at AME and Hennig, what we've done is we've gotten more aggressive with LinkedIn. And what I'm finding is like 
having a LinkedIn connection request is so much more valuable than having a business card and then making sure you know how to use LinkedIn to your advantage. We've, we've gotten some sales navigator seats, which allows us to like really filter into the exact people who are the people who, who need the solutions that, that we offer. And once we get those filters, we're using some automation tools to, to send personalized messages to everyone in that list. And we're, we're sharing a lot of the content that Making Chips helps me create with, with these animated videos of work holding applications kind of being assembled. And, and so it's been really effective. I get maybe five, six different, not just connections. I get tons of connections, but five or six people who actually see the message and are like, yeah, you know what? I actually need help right now. So speaking of uh, transformation and things changing because of the pandemic, my opportunities for entertainment have certainly changed. I can't go out and really do anything. So I got to ask you guys, what are you doing to stay entertained at home now that we're in this lockdown? Honestly, I have to tell you, I'm not liking it. You all know I love to go out to dinner and I, I like to be outside and do things differently and and have a diverse schedule. We are watching a little bit more TV, although, you know, by the time I get home and have a glass or two of wine and, and then I eat dinner that my wife has so lovingly prepared for me when I get home, we're just we're just cooking more. We're, we're doing that. We're experimenting with new wines and kind of enjoying each other, if you know what I mean. So, oh, all right. yeah, That's we've been, you know, guess. we've been doing that. I think a lot of other people are doing that as well. So that that's the only difference. And I look forward to the warm weather. We can get outside. At I least, did not you know? expect that as an answer, but very exciting yeah, answer. Congratulations. You heard it here first, Metalworking Nation. Jim is doing that more. You can interpret that however you want to. Oh, uh, are you guys going for another child or what? No, 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 no. We, we stopped that 25 years he wants ago. To try to, he wants to keep up with me, even yes. at this later age. Yes. Jason, what are you guys doing for fun? For us, Nick, it is summarized in two words. Just dance. Oh, gosh. Are you so talking about we, the uh, video game? Yeah, the video game Just Dance. We've been doing a lot of Just Dance, and it's good for a couple things. It's entertaining. You burn a lot of calories. It's something you could do inside. It's a whole lot of fun and something that my two-year-old up to you know my 14-year-old can participate in, and even mom and dad can, can dance along with the kids. It's a lot of fun. It's awesome. Since we're stuck inside, it's kind of a fun, entertaining thing to do. So we've been watching The Last Dance, have you guys heard of that? Yeah, absolutely. It's... The Bulls documentary, The Last Dance. The yeah. Oh, it's about the Bulls. Okay. Oh, it's amazing. I think we're like four well, or six Nick, episodes into it. How old were you when Michael Jordan was in his prime during those years? So he's probably in his prime in the 90s. And, you know, I was like, I think that was 93. I think it was 93, yeah, actually. So I, I was born in 87. So right okay. when I started really getting into sports and recognizing the icons. He was the icon, probably the icon cool. of all icons. And we're Chicago people, you know, so. Yeah, the beauty of that is you get to you get to relive that as a new generation of sports fans. You know what I mean? Whereas I, I lived it because I saw it every day that it was playing out in 1993. But the beauty of it is they're bringing it out again and the excitement is still there. And that's that's really cool. And I, I'm hearing really good things about that documentary. Yeah, they're so. getting into the weeds, into the story, into the drama, like all the way through upper management and the executive people who are putting the pieces together. And they're telling like Dennis Rodman stories. And oh, it's, it's I like, love yeah. Dennis Rodman. He's my favorite. 
<laughs> really? Yeah, he's. I love that. He's I awesome. would never. I would never have guessed that. He's. He's just so much fun to watch. Exactly. He's entertaining. He's you know a character. He's funny. He's a goofball. So speaking of entertaining and combating boredom, who wants to talk about the boring bar? I can talk about the boring bar. The boring bar means different things to different people. To me, I've used a boring bar out in my machine shop back in the 90s to create precision holes in any kind of metal alloy that we were machining, right? It's typically a high precision way to create a hole in a part. But in our case, the boring bar is our weekly newsletter that we've branded. And I think that from what I remember is when we were branding our weekly newsletter and came up with the boring bar, we said, you know, manufacturing is kind of boring to everybody outside of our industry. I know my wife's eyes glaze over when I talk about manufacturing, and I'm sure your wives as well do the same thing. They don't know what's going on. So what we decided to do is create this boring bar because manufacturing is boring to anybody outside of it that kind of relates back to a tool that we use. And that's how we let people subscribe to the boring bar. And that's how we convey information about timely and relevant manufacturing news that we're sharing. And we also have Christine Schmitz that puts, she's a a writer for us that she takes and curates this week's episode into a beautifully written piece. Yeah, original content you can't get anywhere else. Yeah. Oh, and it's also going to be a real bar. Well, it is a real bar right now that I have not seen yet out in our Rockford headquarters. And you're all going to be invited to our grand opening celebration that has been postponed to October. And I'll be there making drinks at the Boring Bar. Nick will be there. And Jason's going to be the waitress delivering them to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) I'll dress like Dennis Rodman. There you go. (laughs) That would be funny. (laughs) So I I actually, as as we're talking, I literally just got a text message from a manufacturing leader who requested that we have our Boring Bar party during IMTS. He said, can you do it during IMTS? Because I'm already going to be in town and it's just more convenient for me to come out at that time. Didn't we try to to have a party before at IMTS and everyone was too busy doing all their other IMTS stuff? Yeah, that is definitely part of the problem. No doubt. Yeah, I'd like to say yes, but I think it's just too it's too much because we're going to be at IMTS in some capacity, right? We, we just talked with them today. We're trying to work out the, the details of it. We just don't know. There's too much unknown right now to, to kind of bring that together at the same time. So I'm sorry, whoever that was, but it's just not practical. Right now, we have the most anticlimactic grand opening ever. We have one person who's actually in our new building. Our photo video expert has bad internet at his home, so he comes into work. He's the only one there. Everyone else is sheltered in place at their home, and Ian has the entire Making Chips headquarters to himself. So who knows what he's doing in there? We do not have any surveillance cameras, so (laughs) hopefully he's working. (laughs) All right. He'll be fine. He's a good guy. Let's get into manufacturing news. Yeah, what do you got for us today, Nick? Okay, so the big question for everybody is, you know, how are we going to get this economy restarted? And and I put two articles together, one from Business Insider and one from the Gazette. The first is Midwestern states have formed a third coalition to reopen the economy. 
And the, the second article talks about how Midwest governors have different reopening strategies. So, yes, they we do. formed a coalition, but from state to state, it's not consistent. We kind of feel like we're stuck in this catch-22, damned if you do, damned if you don't right now. Where okay, so what if we open too early and the virus you know, has another outbreak? Or what if we keep the economy shut down and we never pick it up? So there's a lot of different schools of thought. And I'm certain our, our leaders of our states don't have the same opinion for what to do. So, so the article kind of dives into that. The regional coalition is Michigan, Illinois, Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Kentucky. And they joined forces to coordinate a plan to reopen the economy. It's a bipartisan squad working to mitigate the economic crisis caused by the coronavirus. I did not hear about this. So enlighten me and the metalworking nation, please. So there's a coalition now between all these states you just mentioned right here in the Midwest. Yes. And what is their mission? Because we've got, that's definitely a partisan states, right? So there's going to be a lot of different thought processes behind what these governors and leaders from those states are thinking. How are they going to work together? And that's what the article talks about. And and so they, they all have different approaches. It talks about the Iowa governor, Kim Reynolds. Friday, she announced the first baby steps in her plan to reopen Iowa with a pledge to introduce more steps. Reynolds has given every indication she plans to reopen Iowa on a partial basis, geographically speaking. At her daily briefings, she frequently talks about using the data the state public health department has collected to determine where the virus is hitting hardest and where it appears to be less prevalent. This will enable the state, Reynolds says, to open on a regional, county, or even community level. It's not difficult to see how this is most likely to play out. The eastern and central portions of the state are where the virus has been most common, while western Iowa has seen far fewer confirmed cases. Now to Iowa's east, the plans are different. Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers extended that the state's shelter-at-home order should go until May 26th. And Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, our governor, extended that our state shelter-in-place will go until May 31st. Right. And he's getting a lot of bad feedback on that. I know um, bad feedback all the way. Well, a, a downstate representative just filed a lawsuit against him stating that he exceeded his authority and a judge ruled in that guy's favor in that. Wow. Uh, yeah. You didn't hear about that? No, I didn't. Yeah. And then actually, Nick, somebody from Rockford filed another suit too, just the other day. Yeah. I, I heard it on the news. So I think that as we progress and the days and weeks tick by, I think people are getting very antsy and people want to get back to work. We need to get back to work. I'm we, need say, to, we need to get back to work. We need to protect those who are most vulnerable, like those who have immune systems that are they, they could be most vulnerable to the coronavirus. And we need to protect the elderly. I, I don't know how children fit into that equation, but we always have to protect children. But we need to get back to work because there's going to be too many people that are going to be an upsurge in suicides, an upsurge in drug abuse, an upsurge in just other things that are not being taken care of because we're not getting back to work. We were made to work. Absolutely. The news this week just goes on to say that not all Republican leaders are saying open now and Democratic leaders are saying, okay, keep it closed. It's actually like kind of a toss up. So it's really just on a state by state basis. And I think we can all agree we want to get back to work, but we can also all agree we want to do what's right for the safety of, of the people. And it's it's really a tough decision. This is why leaders have 
they get paid the big bucks, I guess, right. to make these decisions. Well, I, I heard that th- what they say is it's going to be a lot harder opening up the country than it was shutting it down because there's just too many phases and there's, there's, you know, when was the last time we dealt with a global pandemic, right? So we don't know. Everything's unknown. They have no idea. These states that are opening up early, South Carolina, Georgia, they they have no idea that they're going to have a resurgence in infections in the coming weeks after they reopen. So I think the challenge is really going to be in opening up the country again. And I hope and pray that we can, it goes well. So we can all get back to work and back to our, our normal, what, what, what was once our normal, but is going to be our new normal soon. Yeah. yeah. Amen to that. I need a haircut. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> we can tell we're looking at you here. So while we're talking about reopening the economy, why don't we talk about reopening the show and actually getting to our guest here? Our guest today is a lean manufacturing expert that has learned from overcoming manufacturing challenges on the shop floor of the family manufacturing business as he grew through various leadership positions into his current role as Chief Operations Officer of Hennig Inc. He continued to teach and learn using lean principles for continuous improvement throughout the entire global enterprise. He's one of the few three-time guests of Making Chips, and he always has a story to equip and inspire the metalworking nation. And coincidentally, his last name is very similar to one of our other hosts. Welcome to the show, Noah Goldner. Hey, thanks, guys. Hey, Noah. Great to have you back, Noah. Yeah, good to have you with us today. Love having another multi-generational family manufacturing member on the show to share your story. It's it's refreshing, and personally, I love hearing everyone else's family stories. You have a very similar last name, so similar, it is the exact same last name. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's almost like we're, we're family members here. Are you guys yeah. brothers? I checked the mailbox today. I did not see my three-timer medal arrive yet so i don't know if that got lost or if you guys didn't send it yet but. <laughs> well so when we come out with the new making chips apparel you will be one of the first people to get that perfect How does that sound? sounds good I, I won't wait out by the mailbox then for a couple of days and, and and for the rest of the metalworking nation that's going to be at imts you'll see that new making chips apparel there as well yeah it's a pink tie-dye shirt sweet i love it so let's get into it noah You've listened to Making Chips. You know that we beat the drum as it relates to mission, vision, core values, especially core values. We talk about it all the time on Making Chips. And you guys also are very clear about your core values at Hennig Inc. and the entire Goldner Enterprise. So tell us a little bit how those values play into what you do as far as lean manufacturing. And also, please tell us about the the neat little icon that you just came up with, this nice graphic that represent your core values. Yeah, sure. So the, the graphic starts off in the middle with the star, with our uh, you know mission statement of making our customers successful. I worked on that with Karen Ross. She's a co-author of Toyota Way to Service Excellence, and she has Karen Ross Consulting Company. And we were working on kind of trying to develop a Hoshin or a policy deployment, or you guys use EOS with all that kind of thing. But this was prior. What is to, Potion? Potion's basically like policy deployment or strategy deployment. It serves the same function as what EOS would do. EOS, I, in my opinion, EOS is a kind of policy deployment process. So basically, try to connect 
the company's processes and business direction to the vision I mean, make sure everyone's kind of beaten to the same or marching to the same drum there. So we were working on that. And when we first started working with her, she was like, well, what's the purpose of your organization? I kind of went to the website and just tried to find it and read off kind of the standard jargon that you'll see in most places. So her first challenge to me was, she said, oh, this mission state, you know, it's great. It's fine. You know, but it's a lot about yourself and not about who you're trying to service. So worked on that and tried to come up with all this and that. And one day I was just talking to her. I'm like, you know, all the stuff we're talking about when it really boils or what it really boils down to is we're just trying to understand our customers' needs and make them successful. That's kind of where I'm at. She's like, I love it. She's like, that's great. She shared that with Jeffrey Liker, who's author of the Toyota Way and some of the network there. And he was like, yeah, that's awesome. But for us, we didn't want it just to be a tagline or a slogan or some written words. No, speaking of taglines, make your customers successful. How did you develop that for, for your mission statement? Again, it was just every customer has their own business model, their own. They do. Their customers are very dynamic. Some want this, some want that, some won't, don't want anything else. So Jim has a very grand vision of himself too. I do. I do. Well, I know what I'm about and I'm always trying to figure out my customer, but you're really doing a deep dive and you're, you're saying make your customer successful. Enlighten me a little bit about that because it sounds interesting. So yeah, there's various examples. And I think there's a way that you can view the view your business or there's a lens you could view your business through. And in my opinion, that's the purpose of a mission statement or vision statement is actually looking through at your business, working on your business through that lens and guiding your business through that way. So here's some examples. Um, Haas is a big customer of ours. Yeah. Big machine tool. I got plenty of them in my shop. Right. So what what's interesting to them, right? We have to ship stuff across the country or halfway across the country to them. So freight was a big deal. Sure. So we went there, we talked to some people on their assembly. I personally even talked to some people on their assembly floor, some of their engineers, their purchasing people. And guys, what happens to our product after it leaves us and gets to you? I saw where it goes. And so from those discussions, we did things like change the way we skid our conveyors for them, put two on one skid so we could stack them high. We were able to get over double the amount of conveyors on a truck as we were prior so that saves them a ton of freight cost, you know? So it's not always just about like, oh, everyone wants lowest price, fastest delivery. Yeah, of, of course people want that, right? But really digging in deeper, what what little things can we do just working together, communicating together that will make your life easier? So that was one big so, thing. So Noah, um, on the, the star icon, first of all, I like how you guys use the Chicago star in the middle of it because, you know, I live in Chicago and that caught my eye right away. I don't know if that was intentional How do you or know not. that's a Chicago star? It actually does look like the Chicago star, but I've never thought about that. It's the star that's on the Chicago flag. Oh. It's very, that's Chicago flag is kind of known for that star. But anyway, cool. it's not exactly, I mean, that's like the only place that it's used. So anyway, going back to this icon, you have on there on the light blue part, internal, external, and you have some other, what I would call stakeholders in your business. Can you explain how those customers, I guess you would call them, are relevant and how you need them in order to be successful? Sure, yeah. Real brief to touch on the star, the thought behind that was the kind of the, the star of David, right? Because we're a kind of a Christian company, Christian organization. The star of David was a guiding light, a direction to be followed, right? That's kind of the start of it. This is the direction we want to go. Then the next layer is kind of a light blue layer where it breaks down what our customers are. And we have internal, external, suppliers, employees, community, and partners. 
Well, I will start with external. That's just our customers, like customers we sell to. Like what people think of when you think of a customer, someone that buys a product. Exactly. Internal is kind of from a process standpoint where if I'm the upstream process, I feed that downstream process and I need to provide them with what they need in a way to have them best be successful. For example, if I'm a if I'm in welding and the bending in our company would be supplying me with my parts. I don't want to be missing a part. I want them all to be bent properly. I'd prefer them to be organized in a way that I don't have to spend time searching for parts. Right. So it gets down to that level. Like, hey, if I lost 30 seconds trying to find this part, because that's what I needed next, and it's underneath another part that I don't need right away, the customer's not going to pay for that, right? So why is it that way? It shouldn't be that way. So what way would I prefer it? And then we'll document that. And then that's the standard that the upstream process, or that's the requirements that the upstream process should fulfill. On a supplier's, it's kind of like the Jerry Maguire, help me help you. I believe in that. And as like a supplier to manufacturing, I think that our most successful customers are the ones that learn how to grow and get lean with their suppliers as opposed to trying to beat their suppliers down. So I think you probably recognize that as well. That is that. That's perfectly said. And you can make it easier for them and make it easier for you on the same same level for that. What about, what about the community? Do you have an example of where the community stakeholder came into play? Yes, actually, just recently that happened um, with all this COVID stuff. So there was a big need in the community for masks and face shields. So Karen Ross, she's really active on LinkedIn, and her mission is always trying to spread kindness and help people. And I've worked closely with her over the past few years. So I just saw her post something about, hey, just get connected with people, mate. reach out to people, make sure everything's going good. And I was like, you know what? I wonder if anyone's reached out to her. I haven't talked to her in a couple of weeks. So I reached out to her and asked her how she's doing. And of course, everything's great. She's always challenging me. And I like that. And she's like, you know, what is, what can Hennig do to help? You know, you guys are lean experts over there. And she's like, she had a quote that was like, the purpose of lean is to serve others. So I was Which like, isn't what most people think when they no. think lean. Yeah. Right. So I think of lean, I think of like, okay, eliminating. Redu- reducing something. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Automating a process, yes. Yeah. I'm thinking of automating a process, yeah. Right. yeah. You know, flow value. That's I'm going to lean out one of my hosts pretty soon. <laughs> We're going to eliminate one of the hosts because they're waste. Clever pun there. So, yeah, but I guess through the lens of the community, lean is about serving others in a way. So I was got in, a little inspired by that and started reaching. I called the mayor. I was calling, talking to all the people in the the company who have wives or spouses in the healthcare industry. And yeah, masks was a big thing. Everyone wants sewn masks, but we found out that face shields was a really big deal and they were really wanting that. So that became kind of a project of how we wanted to live our mission through the community. And I had our head of engineering, Horst Shudler. He rapid prototyped this stuff, found out how like Ford was doing it, got us the equipment we would need and even developed a designed a fixture. Then our supply chain guy, Jordan Riker hopped on that real quick, got all the materials that we needed. And then we even had a a guy who does woodworking at his house. Who's an employee named Babe Campbell, who built this fixture at his house for us. And then kind of got all this stuff together. We got connected to a Jack Fitzgerald at OSF, who's super passionate about trying to help his people. He's losing sleep at night, trying to make sure they got the materials to keep them safe. What is OSF? It's like a brand of tons of hospitals in our Gotcha, town. gotcha. Yeah, the hospital. Hey, Noah, thanks for that. I appreciate that. I'm glad you explained that and, and what it means to you and your company. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. Mission, vision, values, they don't mean squat unless they change the way that you live and work. How, how have your employees embraced the mission 
T- tell me about that. Tell the metalworking nation about how your employees, when they heard it, did they put up their nose and say, ah, this is all smoke and mirrors. This is only what people get paid for to write books. Tell me your story of how the mission was embraced. I could probably give a decent example for the internal customer on that. They're a part of it. So to make it not just words, we we develop processes through that lens too. So part of what we do at Hennig is I created a, what I called a, a PSM, which stands for process success map. And I guess it's similar to like what a value stream map would be, but it's kind of got more in depth of how the game should be played in a way or how the process should run. So we start at the we start at the external customer and kind of back what we were talking about, what, what their needs are, what their business model, that influences our process, whether they need a quick delivery or focus on cost reduction or the way we ship things to them even. But So we developed a process success map and we start at the farthest downstream process, communicate clearly what the requirements are for them. And then we have a nice catch ball session with them and with us about what do you guys need to be successful? How do you need the work flowing into you to put you in the best position to achieve these requirements? Whatever those reasons or whatever those needs for success would be, become the requirements for the upstream process. Then that kind of cycle repeats itself all the way upstream. So whatever requirements are for the downstream become the requirements for success for the upstream. That's what they need to do. Then we ask them, what do you need to do? What do you need to be successful to meet these requirements? Blah, 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 blah. That's the requirements for the upstream and so on and so forth. So we create our PSMs with the people. So they're kind of a part of it the whole time. So there's not really a snubbing the nose. It's, hey, this, you tell us what we need to do to help you. And then we, we work that way. Great. Thank you. So in, in the Haas example, you, you talked to Haas and they were like, we got to figure out how to do cost reductions here. And, and you considered the entire, all the elements of the cost, including freight and how many conveyors you were able to put in a crate to ship to them. And so, so they defined the requirements and that's what it would take to make them successful. And then from there, okay, what does shipping need to do? Well, they need to modify the crates so that they can fit more chip conveyors. And then what does the next process upstream need to do? Well, they need to make these changes so that the conveyors can fold so that we can fit more onto the crate and all the way back, all the way up through. And so that's kind of how at every step of the stage, you're making the customer successful. Right. So for final assembly, for example, where we used to put one conveyor on a skid and then put it in a box, now we kind of, we put two on a skid. So it changed our whole assembly process. So we had to adjust our assembly process to fit these new needs for this customer and so on and so forth. And yeah, like we said earlier, every customer has different needs. And if we can take the time, especially from sales standpoint, to ask that question of the customer, hey guys, this is what we do at Hennig. We want to help you be successful to do that. Can we, let's have some good talks about what are your needs? How do you deal with our products? And when you get on that level with them and you, it's kind of cool because then all of a sudden you're collaborating, you're working together with your customers on a common goal. Then you get out of the whole, like, what's your lowest price thing? And then you get right. a lot of creativity starts to happen and you can do things that help the supplier and the customer. And even the community, you started this whole rapid prototyping process for these face shields with not by assuming they needed face shields or assuming they needed masks, but you you talk directly to your community as the customer and you talk directly to OSF hospitals and they, they told you, well, we actually don't need the sewn masks as much as we need these face shields. And then from there, it flowed up upstream. Okay. What do we need to do to get the face shields done? Well, we need a prototype and we need a fixture and we need this and we need that. And so you, you probably didn't make one of those process success maps for this one, but it followed the same principles and all of those principles are connected to 
the goal and the commission of making our customers successful and, and doing by living on our core values. So, And then on the core value side of that, so we have God-honoring, servant leadership, compassionate giving, mutual respect, unyielding integrity, continuous learning, and pursuit of excellence. So everything we do and the way we do it should never contradict one of those core values. So right. we could always ask ourselves, is what we're doing in line with the core values? And you should go one by one to every core value and the answer should be yes to everyone. Mm-hmm. And if you ever have to say no, then you should reevaluate what we're doing. Find a, a different way to do it. Quick question on that. So you're in the, the core values and I, obviously you practice them. You were able to recite them very quickly. Car Machine only has four, but do you go through the same exercise where you hire, fire, and evaluate your employees based on your corporate core values? We didn't, but we're in that transition now. Okay. So I guess on the employee side of that mission statement, where you know, we're internal, external suppliers, employees, the difference between employees and internal is internal is still about the employees, but from a process standpoint, but where it's just about employees, it's them personally. How do, do, how do they you enjoy make your employees successful as a person versus how do you make your employees successful as a part of the process? That's the difference. Exactly. Right. Okay. So in this case, we created these magnets that's got our Hennig star with our, with our how we view them as customers and the core values. And I like the concept of the college football helmets with the stickers. Whenever they did a good play or did something good for the team, they earned themselves a sticker. So we made these magnets that are similar to those and we give those out when we catch our employees doing something right or living our core values. And we kind of make a, I made a list code. We just call it a star performers list. Cool. And we kind of document it that way. Yeah. So tell me about when you have given one of those magnets to one of your employees, are they like surprised or can you see the glow in their face? Can you tell that they really feel like they, they did something right or were they just trying to just get a, a star? Oh, most of the people don't even know that's coming. So, oh, is that right? Okay. And do they think they need a raise then? Or no, do they? Maybe they Because do, you never know, you know? I gave two out this last week. One, because a lot of people, was the EFMLA or um, FMLA? They file, FMLA, yeah. So we lost a lot of our machine department for that. So we had to cross train a guy from our cover department to do their own machining. And he stepped in and just started doing a, a great job right off the bat. Good attitude, embraced the need. I gave him one because that was really big thing for us at the moment. We we had to figure out a solution right away. He did a good job. He was happy to get it. Then we have another guy named Victor who just every day, all day, all the time, just works, works, works. Great attitude, no matter where you put him, he jumps in and does a great job. And then I noticed, you know, sometimes where you get these little huddles in the company where they're talking about this or that. Well, there was one that happened around him and I saw him and he's just working right through it like oh he wasn't part he wasn't part of the the group that was not working i mean he was job. in the vicinity but yeah, he yeah, was yeah. Working. yeah exactly so i came out there again and i was just like you know victor whether i'm working with you on the floor and you're showing me something or we're learning a process together or whether i'm just in the shop and i see you from a distance or if i'm watching the cameras all the time you're doing the right job so i'm like i want to give this to you because you are demonstrate what we want to see as a hennig employee and he was like Wow. He's like, thank you, man. He's like, I'm going to go frame this thing. <laughs> That's great. That's really oh, great. I can't talk to this guy without liking him more every time. So everyone likes to be com- complimented on what they're doing. And if, you know, if you're doing something right and you're doing something that's good for the company and yourself, it's, it's, 
nice to be told that you're doing something right. Jim, I, you're doing a great job of hosting this podcast. And you're doing <laughs> yeah, such a thank great you. Thing I was going to say, you never tell me I do a great job. You so, are, Jim. Um, you're doing a wonderful I job. Know, I know. I can't I'm tell trying, you about man. how awesome of a host you are. I know. I'm passionate. You know, I really try to pull these great ideas from our our guests every week. Settle down so, the idea. Yeah. See, we need this. People in our position, we don't get to hear a good job. I, I know. You know I mean? so this is... Because I just told you, Jim, I said, hey, Jim, that, that article you wrote about our tagline, if you're not making chips, you're not making money, was really well done. I just, I must have sent that email about 10 minutes before. So I feel like you should yeah. give me one of your gold stars and I'll put it on my helmet because <laughs> I was very nice to compliment you for that. The, the article actually was complete trash. I've given you a couple compliments this week, Nick. So a couple. Both verbally yeah. and via email. Didn't you congratulate him on being my brother? I congratulate him for being a baby making machine. Let's re- on that note, let's wrap up this interview. No, it's been a pleasure having you on Making Chips. We appreciate your service to the manufacturing industry and also yes. your service to helping some of those nurses and frontline responders. So, and it's great that you were able to to do that for your community, one of your stakeholders. Noah, time's about up. It was a pleasure having you on again. We want to bring you back again because I love hearing great manufacturing leaders, success stories. Obviously, you invested a lot of time, effort, and, and money, ultimately money into this process. And and you want the output of that is you want to have continuous improvement and you want to improve from what you were doing yesterday. So at the end of the day, if you don't have a mission and you don't know your customers, you're not making chips. And what do we always say? If you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Thanks for listening to the Making Chips podcast. Jim and Jason knew that the metalworking nation, the community of world-class makers, needed to commit to a new way of leading to stay ahead of the competition. So, Making Chips was created to fill that void, to give you advice from other manufacturing leaders who can push you to take action. Your manufacturing challenges have a solution. And many of them are at makingchips.com.